0: Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections at the UAA-APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. The three hosts for our podcast will be the archivists at the UAA-APU Consortium Library Archives.
1: Hi, I'm Arlene Schmuland. I have a Master of Arts in History with a graduate certificate in Archives and Records Management from Western Washington University. I've been an archivist with the Consortium Library for over 15 years, and I'm the head of the archives.
2: Hi, I'm Gwen Higgins. I have a Master of Arts in Library and Information Studies from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I've been an archivist here for almost three and a half years.
0: And I'm Veronica Dennison. I have a master's degree in library and information science from Simmons College and have been an archivist at the UAA APU archives for almost five years. Today, for our first episode, we will interview each other about the Consortium Library archives, our holdings, and archives in general. Our first question is for Gwen. So Gwen, what do archivists do, and how are they different from librarians and museum curators? Archivists
2: collect, describe, and provide access to materials that are generally unique and unpublished and document the activities of the people or organizations that created them. These can include things like photographs, diaries, um, audiovisual materials, business records, um, all sorts of things. Um, archivists talk with donors and sometimes crawl on their hands and knees among boxes in the basement of a donor's house to take in new collections. They write descriptions of collections um, in the form of finding aids, which um, are often but not always um, posted online. Um, they uh digitize materials um to be made available online. Um And they answer reference questions about collections and engage in outreach activities, such as creating exhibits, posting on social media, and attending or holding public events to promote their collections to potential researchers. Um, At some archives, each archivist is responsible for one aspect of this work, while at other archives like ours, each archivist does all these things. Archivists are very similar to librarians and museum curators. Um, They both carry out similar functions, um, collecting, describing, and uh, making accessible um, their collections in some way. Um, But the biggest difference is in the type of materials that they collect. So librarians, um, instead of Unique unpublished materials. They focus mostly on published materials like books or um, commercially available music or movies. Uh, museum curators uh, primarily focus on objects, and these can be, you know, art, uh, cultural or historical objects, or objects from the natural world such as fossils or rocks or. Um, Other things that have been collected from nature. And these different things that um, they collect influence how they carry out um, the functions of collecting, describing, and providing access to these materials. Um, Do you guys have anything you want to add to that? I don't think so. Not really. No, that was a good summary of what we all do. I think so.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, so Arlene, um, I just went over a little bit um, what archivists do generally um, and what what types of things archives have. Um, can you talk a little bit about what um, we have here at Archives and Special Collections?
1: If I was looking like I was laughing as you were talking, it was because I realized the first bit about what archivists do and what archivists have kind of paralleled everything I had for the first half of my answer, so I didn't need to say any of it. I didn't realize that earlier. So we'll kind of skip that. I mean, Gwen already mentioned that we have these unique one-of-a-kind materials, diaries, photographs, whatever. Um, We're actually kind of a two-part archives and special collections. Um, The archives side of the shop, we have about close to 7,000 boxes of materials in the back um, and those are the things that Gwen mentioned. And they run the gamut. They're from politicians, they're from anthropologists, they're from doctors, they're from uh, civic organizations like the Anchorage Garden Club, the Ferrandi, uh, public policy institutes, business people, businesses. Uh, there's a few banks' records represented back there, things like that. Um, it's actually a pretty good cross-section of life in Alaska over time. But the other half of the shop is—not not even half, it's a much smaller collection—is that we provide access to the library's Rare Books collection. Um, it has books and publications in it that are either difficult or impossible to replace, or that perhaps have a very close attachment to one of our archival collections. Like if we get in the papers of an anthropologist. The library may come of that individual, may come in with it, and those books may be annotated. And when that kind of thing happens, we pull those from the collection and add them to rare books and put a note in the record that says this copy came from so and so's collection because that provides a connect back to the archival collection and materials that may be in there. It may help inform, it may help tell you a little bit about the kind of research they were interested in doing, that kind of thing. Anything else you think I should add? No? I think that summed up pretty well what we have. Yeah. Okay, Veronica, Mm -hmm. you get the next one. So we've talked about what archivists do. We've talked about what this archives at least has. Um, Who uses us?
0: Well, I think many people assume that the most most users of archives are scholars and historians. Um, We get people coming in and ask us if, if... if they're, they're from the public and they're asking us, hey, can I use you? Do I have to be qualified? Do I have to have a letter? And at least with our archives, you don't. Um, so researcher questions vary with each researcher who contacts us, really. Um, people use archives for a majority of reasons, either for personal interest to feel connected with loved ones, research for work, digging up dirt on an individual, <laughs> um, lawsuits, information or photographs for television shows, dissertations, really almost anything you can think of. Um, just in the past year, materials have been requested for use in National Park Service reports, a publication for a cruise line, several documentaries and TV shows, event programs and flyers, books, journal articles, theses and dissertations, interpretive signs in parks and museum exhibits. Murals, websites, social media, and office and home decor. So, I mean, we've had people come in for reasons that we never would have thought they would want to come in. Right.
1: So,
2: yeah.
1: Sometimes it's just to hear a voice. Yeah. yeah. Like we had that yeah. lady who called up and wanted to listen yeah. to some conference proceedings because it was her mm-hmm. dad's voice and he'd been gone for mm-hmm. some time.
0: Yeah. And the woman who was put up for adoption by a couple whose papers we have and right. she wanted to come in to have mm-hmm. some. To see who they were. More about her family. Um, mm-hmm. We had a man come in. He just wanted copies of um, programs where his his wife's name is mentioned. She had died a couple years before, and he just wanted copy after copy of everything like that. So yeah. it really varies. <laughs> it does it does yeah.
2: Um. Okay. So. Um, I think Now we're just gonna ask a few um, general questions um, of all three of us. Um, so, Arlene and Veronica, what's one thing you wish people knew about archives? That is
0: not just old stuff. <laughs> you get that question or that there's that assumption that it's all really old. Uh, I want to always ask them how old the they think is old, because...
1: Yeah, is that five years ago or Yeah. Ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all relative.
0: Um, so we have materials in our holdings dating from as recent as January 2018. In our archives, the bulk of our collections date from about 1930 to probably the mid-1980s. But I guess the definition of old is relative, as I said. Um, old for Alaska would be different than old for a lot of the archives on the East Coast. Alaska was purchased from Russia in 1867 and became a state in 1959. Our oldest document in our archives is dated to 1833, and it's not even Alaska related. It's a letter in the Frederick John Date Papers from February 12, 1833, and was written in Canada. Our oldest Alaska related item where we know the date for sure, it's the one thing that's actually dated, is a cash book in the Richard T. Harris papers from uh, 1879 and relates to Harris's mining claims. And our most recent materials are signs and posters carried during the Anchorage Women's March in
2: January. Mm-hmm. No, it's really not. It's pretty broad. It's pretty broad. Yeah. I think another thing um, that people assume about archives is that everything we have comes from somebody really famous or well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, we're really trying to provide a well-rounded picture of the community and of Alaska. And um, that means we collect um, materials from all sorts of people. It might just be family photographs or, um, you know, diaries that someone wrote um, while they were traveling in Alaska um, on on a cruise. Um, it can be, it can be from... From anyone, and um, they can. There can be research value in in any of these um, types of materials. So, somebody writing letters um, to their family outside Alaska about an earthquake that took place could be used later on by researchers looking at. Um, how people experience natural disasters. Um, that's just one example. Um, or photographs taken of downtown Anchorage, um, you know, can be compared with photos from a different point in time um, showing how downtown changed over
1: the years. I think that really leads well into kind of the thing I see as the one thing that. People should know about archives is maybe how people-oriented we are. Um, is I mean the donor work is is a huge part of that because in order to really make our collections representative, we're out there talking to people. We we're talking to people from all different walks of life. Um, we're learning about them. We're learning about the records they've kept over the time. Um, we work with. Researchers, we uh, when they come in and are looking for material on their research topic, we talk to them, we figure out what they're after and how that may connect to the collections that we have. Um, even the behind-the-scenes stuff, like describing collections—all um, of the records, all those nearly 7,000 boxes back there, those are products of people, effectively. Um, And when you're describing, you really kind of have to have a good sense for what people are up to when they're creating these things. What makes them tick? What are their biases? Why did they take the photo from this angle, not that? Why did they write about this and not that while they were doing whatever they were doing? Um, And that's stuff that you kind of have to pass on to the end user so they can do things like evaluate bias in the documents that they're looking at. Um, I really think that if it's such a people oriented profession to my mind um, that if you don't like people and you aren't curious about them, I don't think it's really easy to be very good at any aspect of this work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree.
1: So, next up, what do you guys like most about being an archivist?
0: So, to go off what Arlene said, <laughs> I really enjoy talking to people from our researchers to donors to my colleagues. I feel like I know some of our donors on a more personal level, and I've even been invited to someone's house for lunch. He's a chef, um, <laughs> Still and he's a donor. <laughs> he made me lunch, and it was delicious. Um, I did. You guys could have come, but you were busy, so <laughs> not my fault. But you know, sometimes it can be hard, especially if the donor is donating the papers of a person and their life who has died. So you kind of have to. You know be there for them and sympathize with them and tell them you can take your time when you want to donate um it's all on your on your timeline really but i love meeting new people and forming those relationships i also like talking to our researchers about what they're looking for or their project and seeing how they use or interpret a document in a way i never would have thought i like talking to people and giving presentations to students and outside groups about archives primary sources and our collections
1: Yeah, and I think that really leads into the kind of the point, or my answer to this question, which is we're constantly learning things. It's a lifelong Mm -hmm. learning process. There's this great XKCD comic that's about um, how on any given day in the U.S., any particular piece of information that— everybody's supposed to know is being learned for the first time by about 10,000 people. The stats are a little wonky, but (laughs) I like the concept because it's really about the joy of discovery. So when we're talking to donors about their lives or talking to researchers about their topics, when we're describing photographs or describing documents, Mm -hmm. it's this constant ongoing discovery and learning Mm -hmm. process and it can be completely random
0: yeah yeah Uh, Veronica
1: not so long ago you were going through a politician's papers you discovered that it's legal to have an alligator in Alaska you just can't set them free in the wild like (laughs) do that I don't know
0: which coincidentally (laughs) we were discussing the week before I'm wondering if it was legal
1: (laughs) (laughs) because somebody had come in and said they knew of somebody who had an alligator um (laughs) You know, and then there's we have this one great collection that, in amongst the many things that uh, the donor is uh, engaged in, he's a very curious guy, he got to noticing those little points that form on the top of your ice cubes in the freezer, (laughs) and he wondered if there was some sort of reason for that. So he actually did this very long study, taking photographs at regular points in time, his wife incredibly forgiving woman, <laughs> in his home freezer, and and trying to compare it to various um, natural things. I, I, I think he finally decided that there was some sort of relationship with solar flares. I can't quite remember what his conclusion was, um, but uh, it never would have looked occurred to me to look in my freezer and think, oh, there's a topic for research. I, maybe I'm I not as curious as other people. <laughs>
2: So, I think that kind of um, segues nicely into my answer as well. Um, One of the things, one of the many things that um, I've had the opportunity to learn uh, in my time as an archivist is um, how technology can be used to help tell these stories um, from the past and from our community. using digital platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Alaska's Digital Archives, and our website where we um, post all of our finding aids. Um, I, I really like the challenge of figuring out how best to present the collections we have using the available technology. Um, and this can be anything from you know how to write the finding aid and how to present it in an easy to use way. Um, which photographs to select for digitization and to put on Alaska's digital archives, or how to create an online exhibit using a platform like Omeka, for example. Um, so I think, I think technology is a great tool for sharing, um, sharing the stories in our collections and really making them more visible.
1: And sometimes learning more about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we occasionally throw things yeah. up on various social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. just to see if we can get an identification on something we yeah. don't recognize. Yeah.
2: And even with things that we post on Alaska's digital archives, um, we don't normally uh, item level describe photographs, but when we post them on the digital archives, we, you know, describe each, each photograph individually and... I've learned things that I never, never would have just by, you know, Googling. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, where is this place, where is this place? <laughs> or um, what is this piece of equipment that right. that these people are using in this photograph? So, yeah. um, I, I think it. Go, I think that also goes back to um, what Arlene was saying about about learning something new every day.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so I have a question for all of us to answer. What's the thing you've done as an archivist that could get the hashtag things I didn't learn in grad school?
2: Um, So something I've dealt with as a professional archivist that was not explicitly covered in graduate school is the challenge of trying to make the most of scarce resources. Um, Many archives, um, including ours, have, um, you know, small budgets, um, especially for purchasing supplies and, um, and, you know, taking on new projects that might, um, cost money above and beyond what we have available to us. Um, you know in graduate school uh, the classes typically focus on how things would work in an ideal world and um, that's not that's not always how it is in the real world um, you know we're taught that photo enclosures come from you know businesses dedicated to uh, selling archival supplies but uh, the same enclosures can be found um, for cheaper and um, you know, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, no free shame. shipping um, from from Amazon, um, you know, the, the classes are filled with examples of really cool projects, but um, the reality of it is that we often don't have the time or the people or the money to be, um, you know, implementing new projects um, and... Software
1: is expensive. And software, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: Um. So, you know, it can be difficult to even keep up with describing incoming collections, let alone, you know, taking on something new. Um, so I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think a lot of times having to work within these constraints really promotes creativity <laughs> and forces you to think about what what our priorities are um, as an archives. Um, So how about you guys? All
0: right, so mine is primary source instruction. Um, We focused a lot on outreach and advocacy. I even Mm -hmm. took a class called outreach and advocacy, but we didn't do a whole lot of primary source instruction. I was fortunate that I had an internship at the Lawrence History Center in Lawrence, Massachusetts, that allowed me to give presentations and discuss uh, primary sources and how to use them but in grad school i never really gave a presentation or remember discussing the different ways primary sources can be used or how to evaluate primary sources it is something we do a lot here um, we give presentations to different classes we it's we get in discussions with users about some of the documents or um, just you know be aware of the biases that can be and the stuff that you're reading um, so it is pretty much almost a daily thing we do. Um, and I know other archives do it as well, but I wish we focused a little bit more on the primary source instruction aspect because mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a little bit different than um, outreach and And I think advocacy. it's a little
1: harder to learn yeah, on the fly. It is.
0: It's, you know, you really, like, I was looking up different articles and trying to find, like, a book to really help me um, determine the best way to discuss with, the, with classes, you know, with students. Mm-hmm you know, try to find an engaging way to right. present primary sources mm-hmm. to them. And then learning from Arlene and then the archivists that were here before me and going on their presentations as well.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to take this on a totally different track.
0: Because
1: <laughs> mine's not so much professional as personal. It's kind of funny because we were talking about personal identity last week. And we were talking, kind of all of us came to the conclusion that, yeah, we're all archivists and we spend a good deal of our time of our lives being archivists, but that's what we do. It's not who we are. Mm -hmm. And, and for all that I said that there's still a lot of crossover into my daily non-archives life, like even the clothes that I buy, because if you're going out to a, a donor's home to take mm-hmm. a, a look at their records, you never know whether you're going to be at—and uh, these may be in nice little boxes in somebody's living room. You may have to eat with them. Mm-hmm. Or you could be crawling into a crawl space, or in one case a partially um, well, unheated, uninsulated cabin I think we were in one time. One time I had to take a boat to get to where I was going, A little, mm-hmm. a little rowboat with a small motor on it. So you have to figure out what you're going to wear that still presents that professional appearance, yeah. but you're yeah. not going to have to worry about it getting mouse.
0: Mouse poo on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was trying not to use that word, but that's okay. <laughs> Fine. You know, so it's that word, spider webs. I, yeah. I hate spider webs um so it's that balance thankfully in alaska i think there's a big help because i think if i showed up at somebody's house in a suit and high heels which i have been known to wear i wear heels all the time but if you show up somebody's house dressed like that for the most part they're going to look at you kind of funny that would be practice elsewhere but here you know you're better off not dressing to that level the other thing is um a few years ago, a friend of mine was leaving the state, and I was just chit-chatting with her, and she said something about she had her 20-year-old, 23-year-old Jeep, and they were trying to sell it before they left, and whoever they were going to sell it to, fell, the sale fell through. And Did I know anybody? And I said, I'll think about it. I hung up the phone. Five minutes later, I'm like, what am I doing? So I called her back and said, I'll buy it. Um, she wanted almost nothing for it. It was a heck of a steal. Because what I realized is if I had a Jeep to haul collections in, I wouldn't have to keep putting them in my pretty sedan. And then about a little over a year after that, I actually murdered the pretty sedan, um, which is really embarrassing and I don't want to get into. But um, So I was able to go for about six months just driving the Jeep because I had two cars. Who knew that would work? Um, and then I took my time and then got the—okay, I'm having a midlife crisis convertible um, <laughs> as my daily driver. Um, and. You know, in, just in case my insurance company is listening, I don't use the Jeep just for work. <laughs> I use it in my personal life a lot. You know, you do recycling runs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But but really having that Jeep and being able to haul stuff in a car I wasn't so worried about getting dirty is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I a huge part of my thinking on the acquisition of that car was about work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys haul stuff in your cars too. You know it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but we both have sedans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> It really works. We put us to a point. We tried
0: <laughs> that <laughs> women's march post sign. Oh, MSU. those were yeah oversized. Oh, so that yeah. it was so close. It was like half an inch, half an inch too big. I was like, if only I had a bigger car <laughs> <laughs> someday. <laughs> someday. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay,
2: so um, what is one thing about you, um, that kind of goes against the
1: typical stereotype of an archivist? Okay, this is embarrassing. Um, I, it, it doesn't just go against the stereotype from an archivist for an archivist. I think it, it's a little embarrassing to admit. As somebody who works in an academic institution, somebody with some education, I'm, I'm not a fan of touring other archives and going to museums. Um, I, I don't know. With other archives, it's like, well... It's boxes on shelves. And that's cool to people who aren't familiar with archives, but for people who are super familiar with being in the stacks and having to move those boxes around on shelves, that's not so interesting. And if they've got something really cool, like a super cool HVAC unit for the heating and air conditioning. or um, like the new State Libraries building that has double doors into their stacks, which I want Stars. with every need of my heart. Um, and I can't have it, so what's the point in looking at it? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the petty part of my brain, I'll admit. So, <laughs> And with, with museums, like if they're history museums and they have an exhibit up of documents, I'm, I'm always thinking because... I work in archival collections. I'm thinking about so what did the paper after that one say? <laughs> you know, so you're interpreting this photograph for me. But what if I don't agree with what you think this photograph is about? You're you're looking at the focus of uh, as the curator, you'd be looking at whatever point you're trying to make with the exhibit. Um, but I'm too busy evaluating around the edges, so I, I end up getting, I, I don't know, stymied by the interpretations mm-hmm. that's provided? I don't know. I don't have a good word for it. So I guess, yeah, it's embarrassing. And the worst part about it is I think I am really unusual for an archivist in that sense because, you know, I go to conferences, and very often the pre-conference tours are all going to archives and museums, and I'm like the one person saying, no, thanks, I'm, I'm going to be at the aquarium. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, so I think, I think there's also, um, a stereotype of archivists that, um, we sort of spend all of our free time doing quiet activities, um, <laughs> like reading or knitting or hanging out with our cats. Hey. Um, <laughs> but, um... And I think this is true of Veronica as well. Um, I'm pretty active and outdoorsy. Um, you know, I, I really like spending time outside um, in the summertime, hiking and camping and kayaking. And, um, and then in the winter, uh, cross-country skiing, um, ice climbing, um, and... Um, I think Alaska is an amazing place to live if you enjoy being in the outdoors. Um, You know, I don't think I'd be quite as adventurous um, in the types of activities I do if I didn't live here. Um, You know, I've been running for years, except not right now because I have a foot injury, (laughs) but, um, and and also cross-country skiing. So I'd probably do those, but I don't think I would have ever, you know, gotten into the ice climbing or, you know, going on backpacking trips, or you know, maybe even kayaking. If I didn't live here, yeah.
1: Well, I think it's kind of hard to do ice climbing in some places. In work. some places, not, I mean, the yeah. Midwest is not really not yeah, and ice
2: I'm, like I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, I'm from the Midwest, and it's it's also pretty flat, so um, you know, hiking is, is <laughs> um, definitely There's more no of a... <laughs> yeah occasional thing there
0: <laughs> um and i do know several archivists who do run they, yes. they do a running meeting at saa the oh, okay. society of american archivists i do so, not know
1: that yeah. yeah but then i'm really not a runner yeah so.
0: i know one of them who doesn't so. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. um but like what gwen said i am outdoorsy but i and i i do enjoy a good tv show binge though But another stereotype is that archivists are (laughs) antisocial, or we're always hidden away working in the vault or a processing room, which is not really true. I talk to multiple people a day at work. Um, Sometimes it's just YouTube, Gwen and Arlene, um, our student workers, when we are fortunate enough to have them, the librarians and the library researchers, donors, professors, Steve, the Mm -hmm. consortium library dean. I mean, there are days when I talk to just a couple of people, but I also really enjoy talking to people. And I feel that it's important to put yourself out there and be social, because just being present um, and visible and talking to people is also a way of promoting the archives, even outside the work environment. So this one time, I was out at a a bar, and I was with a few people, and um, I was talking to them, and they asked me what I did, and I told them I was an archivist. And like, oh, what kind of stuff do you have? And I told them, you know, different types of materials that we have, and, you know, we have papers of geologists, anthropologists, mm-hmm. um, businesses, and they're like, oh, yeah, what geologist's papers do you have? Kind of like, I doubt you have anybody, you know, <laughs> worth it. And I said, oh, we have Ruth Schmidt's papers. And they're like, oh, my God, she was our teacher. <laughs> <laughs> we love Ruth, and all <laughs> that um, That's something they didn't know. They didn't know that the archives here existed. They didn't know that Ruth Schmidt had donated her papers, um, or put it in her her will to donate her papers to the archives. And that's completely outside of the work environment. Right. You know, so sometimes being social is a a different way to promote the archives outside of work. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also important. But I'm also not entirely extroverted either, so (laughs) I do need to recharge every now and then. Mm -hmm. But that's where Netflix and running come in, so I can, like, decompress and not really talk to anybody for a few hours Mm -hmm. or a night.
2: (laughs) Thank you for joining us this month for Archiving AK. For the next episode, Veronica and I will be interviewing Pierce Bateman, graduate student in the Arctic and Northern Studies program at the University of Alaska, Fairbanks. He has done research in our archives, currently focusing on the Alaska Steamship Company. We will discuss with him his research, his experiences working with archival material, and his personal collection of historical objects.